Episode 3, Alex Garcia Rivera, Al Cor, Drummer to the Stars. This is a, this is a long one, so I'm not going to say much, um, except that I've known Al for a long time. I've had the distinct privilege of watching him play for a long time, the distinct privilege of watching him evolve and uh you know got to see some of the some of the greatest like regional bands that no one will ever get to hear or see um watch him play in those bands in the 90s and in in early 2000s um you know seeing him be one of Boston's like best kept secrets for a while and a a guy who plays as well as Al does and could at that time there was no way to keep him a secret (laughs) there was no way he was going to stay huddled under the uh, the umbrella of of, uh, just regional stuff so you've seen him play in if you don't live in Boston or in Massachusetts, you, you, you may have seen him play in American Nightmare, in uh, Piebald, in Shelter, in uh, Better Than a Thousand, and you, you name it. He's been in so many kind of influential, sort of seminal, crazy touring lineups. It's hard to keep track. It's legit hard to keep track. Um... Well, yeah, we talked for a while, and we didn't even scratch the surface of what I wanted to even ask him. So I, we're gonna have, I'm gonna have to punish him again and have him back. Um, you know, uh, I hope that uh, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you can get something out of it. We talk, we run the gamut. We talk about sticks. We talk about we talk about recording. We talk about his studio, Mystic Valley, recording for a bit. Um, so we kind of we stayed in one little pocket and we had a good time. So here, you, without further ado, here's my um, one of my just absolute favorites, Alex Garcia Rivera, Alcor. And I, I apologize for ripping him off, but yeah, you know, what are you, you going to do? I, my recommendation for anyone that's inspired by someone else, my recommendation is to is not a good one. It's not good advice. It's just rip them off. Just you know, do because eventually maybe you can have them on your podcast and not even talk about it. So here is uh, me and Al um, talking talking turkey. For you listeners, we're talking about snow. <laughs> we're talking about living in New England here on the yeah. other drummer. That's you know, it's I you know I asked you this before, but we'll talk about it again. The issue of like not like not living in LA, not living in California, it came mm-hmm. up. It came up before, but what was your what was your reasoning? Now that you've dug yourself out of, <laughs> yeah, um, twelve inches of know. snow. Yeah, I'm like an idiot for not living there. Um, I don't know. Like, uh, years ago, like when 
American Nightmare kind of broke up. Yeah, when was it? Like 2005. Sarah, and, uh, my wife and I talked about moving to L.A. And I guess mostly for me, but like we had lived in uh, Oakland and Berkeley um, for a couple years before moving back to Boston. And uh, we loved it out there. And I was like, let's go to L.A. And I'll just like try to do the drumming thing out there or whatever. Um, and I always liked it there, too. And um, we were going to do it. And then I started Blood Horse. And so we kind of stayed for that. And then not long after that, we bought a house. And we're fucking still here. <laughs> your current your current house. Yeah, we're actually getting an addition built onto it. Really? And uh, yeah, so like we're staying for a while. Is uh, what's what's going to be in the addition? Um, more house. We're getting uh, <laughs> well, besides <laughs> besides more house. Wow. Um, okay, stop there. No. Yeah. What, is it going to be a bigger kitchen? Is it going to be a playroom? Like what? Is, we what's it be? are getting a dining room and mudroom and like pantry kind of thing on like the ground floor and then above that is going to be two new bedrooms um we have two kids they're sharing a bedroom now um they're four and two years old and uh so like they're gonna want their own bedrooms right so we're yeah we're doing that and then um we're also expanding what was our guest room up there it's going to be like the, the the master bedroom and then like the bathroom up there as well it's going to be expanded cool and laundry room up there as well and um we also expanded the basement i run a uh, analog studio out of my house takes up the entire basement right and i just i wanted more space so um we actually had the wall knocked down um, in the, the tracking room, like the live room. And uh, that is going into the newly built um, basement area. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. It's going to be awesome. That's great. Everybody wins. Yes, especially me. <laughs> <laughs> well, how's the studio going? So you're like, you know, so we're like 10 months into this shit and... Are, have have you booked anybody there? Have you done anything besides like your own stuff? And um, it's closed right now, but um, and I closed it like in the beginning of the pandemic. I was actually on, on tour when it all kind of started in March, like a early March, I guess. The tour ended. Uh, we lost our very last show, our LA show, um, and. Uh, we all just kind of ended the tour, the show before that, which was like, we had like a five day gap between second to last show and the very last show. And during that time, that's when all the shit like exploded and just, you know, venues were shutting down and everything. And um, I actually had to fly out to LA and get the van full of gear right. and drive across you're, the country. Right. You were saying, so you, your final show was in San Francisco. Is that right? Like the last time you played in front of other humans. Was yeah. San yeah. It went out with a bang though. Uh, we played at, um, in, uh, San Francisco at the, uh, <laughs> now I'm just like 
losing my mind here for a second. <laughs> um, oh, for a second. Fil- just kidding. Yeah, just for a second. Uh, the Fillmore, um, which was like kind of crazy. Um, but, uh, you know, that's the, the backstory to like answering your question. <laughs> um, I got back home and just closed down the studio and um, had to cancel a few things. But like people were kind of wanting to not do their stuff anyways. Right. And then um, I kind of opened up again for just like a couple of bands and like just kind of smaller, like three piece things and um, sporadically did that. And then I had to shut it down um, in December um, for construction. And I've been able to do some like mixing stuff and uh, mastering because that's just in my control room, which isn't affected by the construction. Right. Um, and that's like unattended stuff. So it's like actually perfect for this kind of thing. Cool. Um, this terrible pandemic <laughs> shit. <laughs> How, so, you, so you've got your drums all set up down there, I assume. Uh, normally, yeah, but, but not cause right of, now. Because of construction, you're not, you're not doing that yeah. either? Yeah, yeah. Last time we talked, my live area was still kind of set up, and I I normally try to keep a drum set set up there so that I can play. And right. then I've got like a little kind of small jazz, like kid size drum set for the kids. Sometimes we jam out together. You're you're, uh, you're a good you're a good dad for having that all set up. I guess so. Yeah, you are. I mean, I like if I had my drums here, I would just get. I, constantly inundated and asked to play it by my by my kid um which isn't bad i mean it would be great for him to play but i probably wouldn't be able to actually get any like solid playing in if it were here oh right you know yeah i mean it's hard to even just find the time to actually play um i'm just like fully immersed in parenting right now um because i don't have anything else going on really (laughs) right (laughs) Um, and Sarah works full time. So yeah, it's just me and the kids. So, I mean, I'm just in dad mode the whole time. And, uh, I don't know, not, I mean, by the end of the day, I'm usually kind of fried and I yeah. don't but, feel like playing very much. I mean, we're both fried at the end of today, I'm sure. Yeah. But you know, like, like you gotta, you gotta, you got to, it's funny, man. I never like I found two things were available to me like after being a dad that maybe you can relate to just a little a little bit is that you get you know like the two things kind of happen like you get older and so your your ability to sort of maintain energy and sort of uh, maintain focus on stuff is just diminishes I think anyway Um, but at the same time you find hidden wells of energy that you like never knew you had because you have to do this fucking thing. <laughs> like you have to be available <laughs> for your kids and, and like literally put them to bed and feed them and like do like get, pay attention to them. Um, right. And like, I thought, I thought I was like the least patient person, you know, ever before I had a kid. And then I, I'm still pretty impatient, but I realized I had a hidden well of patience. I never knew I had. You- I'm like the opposite. Really? <laughs> I'm like, I I am typically a pretty mellow guy, happy, like pretty well balanced and everything. And then like 
few years into parenting, I'm just like, man, I'm so like on edge all the time now. And like, I don't know. A lot of it at first was lack of sleep. And then, you know, just like whatever stress parenting can give you during the day, you know, um, just like trying to keep babies alive, you know, <laughs> um, simple thrill. It's super easy. I don't know why you can't do it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking piece of cake. Um, but I don't know. So it's you, just, so uh, you find yourself more irritable. Um, I, I say that like, I'm surprised yeah. because like, I, let me back up and just say like, I gave that whole soliloquy about how I found a hidden well of patience and, and all that shit. Bear, like, let it be on the record that I am still a massively impatient, <laughs> irritable person. It's just like, maybe I would be a lot worse if it wasn't like, if, like I didn't have it. Like I didn't know it was coming from a kid, like I, I, that I had to deal with a kid. I don't want to project too much onto my kid. Um, but I still, you know, like I feel like crazy, like I feel fucking crazy sometimes, oh, yeah. um, but like, like I know that I'm holding it, <laughs> I'm holding it at bay and I'm holding it back to a point where I'm like, okay, like I, f- I found that I don't have to like lean into it. Maybe if like somebody was driving me as crazy and I didn't, and it wasn't my little kid, um, I would go bananas, but because it's my <laughs> right, little kid, right. like I found that I have a hidden well I can draw yeah. from and be like, oh, I mean, I, okay, I'm not going to. I guess I can relate to that in a way. But I mean, I've kind of always had that hidden well of patience and whatnot. Yeah. But I feel like the, the kid, like multiple kids trying to do other things and wrangling them or like keeping them from like, hurting each other and shit like like normally like people in my life like that i just like get away from them you know right. and right. i'm just like exactly you know bound to them and um so yeah my usual like zero stress has like gone up just a little <laughs> bit you know <laughs> right but well, you weren't already a stressed person who re- who is reactive you were not like you know i mean known you a long time you're not that guy so yeah like it doesn't right that doesn't track but like kids really can bring it out kids yeah. can really just i mean you know what it is really it's like bring it out uh, it's like okay here's like two children that i love and like one of them is like about to punch the other one in the face or something or like you know grab something violently from them and i'm like oh wait I love this one. I got to protect them. But wait, I love this one too. How do <laughs> yeah. I like yeah. navigate this? You know, it's just like, it's a weird place to be in. Two is, two is, is, is crazy. I don't know that I could do. I just have one. So it's like two, two is, you I mean, know. I'll be honest with you. Like I had the one kid and it was just the one kid for two years. And I was like, oh yeah, man. Like I, I, I get all those like, parenting like memes and stuff and like all the like (laughs) kind of like you know just like parenting complainy stuff or whatever and then you have the second kid and you're like holy shit like if you just have one kid you it's like not having a kid like comparatively you know it's a a hundred it's a hundred percent it's a hundred percent more kid 
You just had yeah. a hundred percent more kid in your life. So, someone once said like, oh yeah, having a second kid isn't twice as hard. It's like 10 times as hard. <laughs> and like, you know, I well, found that to be true. Well, you had a newborn when, when your oldest was two, like you're going through like two, two to three is like insane. And you're right. experiencing how insane they're like, whoa, this is insane. And then you have a newborn, which you're like kind of not as driven and insane by because you sort of know what to expect. But like, you know, that trends, those like those two to three, like at this point, because my kid's four and a half, mm-hmm. you know, watching those little transitions, those two year, those two year groupings, like watching him navigate through those. It's been amazing, but it's also just been like, wow, like they come with their own special set, a little back pocket, like craziness <laughs> that yeah. like you just kind of like, it's funny because I would always, always asking parents when I had my, when he was just born, like, Hey, do you remember like what you did for X and X, Y, or Z, you know, whatever, you know, right. always trying to kind of pick cherry pick advice whenever possible. And to a man, everyone would be like, I don't remember the kid. Like they could have a kid that's two and be like, I don't. You know what? I don't remember like what it was like to have a kid, like to have a baby, like a, a new, like yeah. a newborn. You're like, well, how do you not remember something two years ago? Now I know that, like, now you get it. The you're like exponential oh. change <laughs> wipes the slate just completely clean. Like, and it happens to me daily. Like, I'll be so mad at some shit, at it, like behavior or something he's not doing or whatever it is. Like asking him to do something repeatedly and he doesn't do it and finally he does it like and then getting into like a like a battle of wills and then being two minutes later just being like, oh i love you so much <laughs> you know like right. forgetting about all of that fraughtness you know i find that that like parenting really wipes your slate like really crazy in a crazy way like it just the, the mind is al the mind's really something it really is man. what a miracle what a miracle we we are I tell you. <laughs> anyway, but you, I remember like, I remember like messaging you because your kid is only a few months uh, younger than mine. So I think yours is born, was born in June or summer, right? Summer? Baby. Yeah, yeah, June. So yeah. my kid was born in March uh, the same year. And I remember being like, whoa, dude, like no one fucking tells you. Like, no, no, everyone, every, like, class that I went to, every parent I talked to is like, oh, it's so, that's a blessing. That's so good. Enjoy it. Like, nurses in the hospital being, enjoy it. Like, and I, I remember being like, what the fuck? Like, what is there to enjoy? Like, this is insane. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't feel normal. Like, I feel so deprived of sleep and so out there. And I just felt like no one told me that. Like no one was truthful. I mean, even if they tell you, you don't. It doesn't register in your brain because you're like, oh yeah, you know. That's not going to be me. Yeah, that's not going to be me. Or like, maybe that was just your experience, or you know, whatever. I I remember you being like, you're like, ah, we'll be okay. I remember like, oh god, Al's so cool and even keeled. Like, he's got this, and Sarah, Sarah too. Like, you guys got this. You just you're gonna be fine. Sarah is a fucking rock. She is a rock. Yeah, she's. I mean, I knew. Like, I thought I second guessed myself because, like, oh, Sarah's like one of the coolest, like, toughest people. <laughs> like, sh- they'll be fine, you know. Yeah, she is like unflappable, man. Like, just like I don't know. She's like 
if there's like a perfect parent, like she might be one of them. Oh, you know wow. what I mean? Yeah. Um, but just like as a person, like she's not like not that she's not emotional, but like I've never seen her just like having a bad day or like being down or anything. It's great. And she's always just like, you know, she's always just Sarah. She's always a, there, like a, super friendly, happy, yeah, helpful, supportive, fucking everything, you know. Yeah, I know, it's a dream. She's a dream. She's the best. Yeah, but I, but that, but then I remembered what I, you know, I had messaged you, and I, you know, you were like, "Ah, oh, we'll be okay." And yeah. I think it was like maybe sometime in the fall. There was like a picture of you, like asleep on all of your drum, <laughs> all of your drum cases, like you had loaded into a show. I don't like what what it was, but like. I was like that motherfucker. Like he now knows what I was trying. What I was trying to tell him, because you were playing shows probably a couple months after he was born. Yeah. And like, yep. He's trying to capture any ounce of sleep he can get, like on top yeah. of his drum case. I mean, I've I've always had a pretty good ability to sleep anywhere at any time, just because like, I mean, I've been touring since like high school, like right. teenage years. And like, I don't know, just like whatever weird schedule I've had, even when I have not been on tour, um, I've just like needed to nap whenever I could because I don't ever sleep that much. Yeah. I mean, I, I thought that that would prepare me. I was like, oh, you know, like sleep deprivation. Like I used to tour, like you sleep three, four hours a night, every night almost, you know, like if you can. Yeah. Yeah. And then you get up and you just drive or you do, you play, you do whatever, you know, I'm like, you it's really not the same. It's really, really not the same. I mean, it takes a certain kind of person to uh, keep doing it or enjoy it or tolerate it even, I guess. Well, talk about that because I think you're a, you are a particular like workhorse. I think like out of all the people, all the people I know that are drummers, like you have the widest, bur- like the widest variety, I think of, of bands, that are like that are good that are like you know worth you know sort of it seems like you're really good at devoting your time and your energy to something that you you thought was like worth it you know um and it seems to me that you just like are so like you're obviously an incredible drummer obviously i wouldn't you know i wouldn't bandy so. wouldn't bandy about <laughs> that um but i think like the other thing i was really always admired is like how hard you how much work you put in. And I think like being cool, just going on the road is such a commodity. It's such a, you know, it's like such a thing that I don't think you realize it until you meet other bands. Maybe like you see how other bands interact and see how, like how difficult, how other people deal with the stress or the rigors of it, of touring. Um, you know, how do you think, is it a skill that you think you developed or is it something that as soon as you hit the road, you knew you were good at? Um, I think it's just kind of part of my personality. Um, I mean, I'm pretty laid back, you know, I'm friendly. I don't know. <laughs> um, but like, I've always kind of said, like, if you don't suck at drums, and you're not like a terrible person, like you'll probably have a career in (laughs) drumming. Um, I mean, being, uh, you know, someone that people get along with uh, goes 
a long way and like definitely goes a longer way than being a good musician because being a good musician that's like subjective anyways it's like true. you can be like technically terrible but actually be awesome um but if you're like a shitty person to be around then you know either way no one's gonna want to be with you especially not in a van i, I mean but good drummers and especially in i think maybe in the genres that we have played in or you play in hard to find i mean like you know like not impossible to find but i think like a truly a good drummer um is is in our world is a little more rare maybe yeah i here here's some thing that i've been thinking about a lot lately that like back when i was younger and like playing in these bands and you know i didn't suck and um you know i would always like be the one getting the call to do the tour, like join the band or, you know, whatever stuff was going on. Um, Cause people knew they could call me and, you know, I could learn their songs or, you know, be a active part of their band or whatever. And um, like, where the hell am I going with this? <laughs> like, uh, you were it seemed it seemed that you got the call because you maybe you're going somewhere is that you people knew that they could rely on you you're a reliable drummer but you were also a good hardcore drummer a good hardcore well, good punk drummer yeah well I had a track record I mean my first band was a band that people cared about so I think it all kind of stems from that but um. Yeah, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, uh, as far as like being a a good drummer and how rare it is in the hardcore scene, like I feel like it used to be way more rare. Like to me, I would play a show back then and like I would get strangers being like, hey man, you're a good drummer. Like that was sick or, you know, whatever. And um, it made me feel like I was a good drummer. You know, and like other musicians were, you know, we had a vibe. I could tell they enjoyed having me as their drummer as I would often, you know, it, mutual respect. I would be like, wow, I'm fucking lucky to be in a band with these guys. Right. Um, and um, I felt like my ability was like, you know, as good as you're going to get for a hardcore drummer. But then like nowadays, there's so many like, technically awesome drummers that are like on the radar mm. for like you know hardcore music aggressive music whatever and like I, I don't know that it just seems like there's so many of them yeah and and i try to sort of dissect like oh why is that and oh and it makes me feel like oh i'm a shitty drummer man <laughs> like i suck like it's like um i used to skateboard and when I stopped skating, it was still like, you know, ollies and like, you know, kind of regular stylistic kind of skateboard moves. Right. And like, you know, like a boneless, maybe you do like a hand plant or something, you know? Um, and that, then like it turned into like, oh, you jump up in the air, your board flips around a hundred times and somehow right. you land on it on the wheels. And it's like. And you're, and you're 11 and you're like 11 yeah, years but it's, old. But that's like, so like. <laughs> Yeah, technical and like beyond like 
what I even thought skateboarding was, you know? And, and to me, kind of drumming is almost like that. It's like everyone playing heavy music is like awesome at it. Like, you know, better than I ever was. You know what I mean? Yeah. But like, so that's such an interesting point because dynamism like doesn't like, but like it only increases the, like it sort of uh, builds upon itself, I guess in, and in, 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 especially in punk and hardcore and, and the stuff we came up playing is that like I, you maybe you learn drums differently than me but like i you know i sat in a room before i even had drums i just like sat in my bedroom with sticks and like played my bed and i played my bed along with shit i had no business playing along with that i couldn't like you know i couldn't like physically achieve yet or even know what was happening technically what was happening with right i was just trying to like mimic it um, but then like I heard like, you know, Youth of Today or like something that was like, yeah, I wasn't as into Youth of Today. So maybe it's a bad example, but you know, like <laughs> stuff on the New York hardcore com- way it is comp that I liked, you know, and I like try right. to play along with that. And that stuff, like some of the drummers on that comp were great. And, um, you know, even for their age and their and that time, mm-hmm. but it was I could pull a lot of it off. Like there was some shit on there that I could hear what they were doing and I could translate it to, to physically to right. what, I, what I mean I back doing. then a lot of drummers weren't that good, like technically were not good. And so like it was easy to sort of imitate that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. Um, somehow we all got the gift of Jeff Nelson though. Oh fucking well. No, giving I mean, us the blueprint of how to there's no play way. hardcore drums. There's no way I was going to pl- Yeah. I was going to play along with Jeff Nelson, but I was going to play like Jeff Nelson. And yeah. You know, when I, when I first got into, you know, the fast stuff and like, uh, you know, hearing like the, like the fast Metallica songs and Slayer and stuff like that, I, I couldn't conceive of anyone being able to play like a hi-hat or a ride that fast. And I remember like, I guess not Slayer, I didn't get into them until a little bit later, but hearing like the fast Metallica stuff, there's no ride symbols there, you know. And so I'm like, he must be playing it somehow with his foot and his hand because it's not possible <laughs> yeah, it's to not, play a hi-hat that fast. not humanly possible. Yeah. And then, like, you know, you see, like, um, you know, the uh, live minor threat stuff and, you know, start seeing that. And you're like, oh, wait, no, they're just playing it fucking fast. Yeah. And so rather than doing any, like, cheat beat bullshit, I was just yeah. like, all right, I'll just play real fast yep yeah i think it's it's crucial to recognize and do an audit of the cheat beat early just so you know <laughs> yeah yeah what you're up against and what you're like uh, that seriously might separate people from being like oh i i can't do this or people to and people that are like i i can't there's no, like there's no possible way i can i can do this or people i can't so i think like there's like a, a, a line i think what i'm trying to say is that like I played along to shit that I knew I could like kind of pull off and then build, 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 built off of it. And then like played along as I learned more, I guess, like yeah. to things that are a little more complex. I think kids like have such a broad, if you're a drummer now, if you're 12 year old me now, you probably have such a, you just have such a wide variety of and birth of, of really incredible drummers that play in this genre. Like, I mean, you're in there. I mean, I'm sure some kid is probably fucking turning turning on, give up the ghost and like 
in like trying to pull off what you did and like that's that's amazing but like you built on something and springboarded off on something and and elevated it to a certain point and then some some little kid in iowa who just started playing drums like who isn't into slipknot because iowa they have a record called iowa but um (laughs) you know what i'm saying so like they're able to sort of mimic and listen to things as they are elevating their ability that you're doing in in the genre you're you contributed to it that make it a little more complex and make it a little more rich and i think like that's probably the reason why there's a lot of younger people if you're you're still traveling around with american nightmare and you're seeing all these younger bands or hearing stuff and you're like shit like these guys are really good you know the drummers are really good like more often than not it's that's probably because they have a better bedrock to work from maybe than we did like you talk about yeah, listening to metallica be. lars sucks like lars like isn't very good like i like like la- live lars like is not what i would consider a good drummer in many ways maybe in almost every way <laughs> um but but i think he's fucking fantastic because all of the like drum parts that he came up with and the fills and stuff like that. Like all, I mean, you know, classic Metallica, all that shit is fucking, it doesn't get any better. You know, I think it doesn't get any better. Cause it's like kind of weird. I think like his, he had this like backwards interpretation of like, like maybe you're right. I think like technically Lars is like master of puppets is like unbelievably good. Like start to finish good record. And the drumming is good like i just think like he i I don't know dude like i I feel like he did some backdoor shit where he was like his feel is really like when you get when you start playing more and you get to be a better drummer and you start listening to lars because you i loved him too when i was a kid i was like this is that doesn't fucking get any better than lars ulrich like (laughs) and as i got older i was like ah it's actually a lot of weird shit (laughs) like some weird shit happening here um yeah i mean he's I, a creative creative drummer, drummer creative drummer you know but his feel like a, is, a, he's like a songwriter kind of drummer well you know what i mean yeah and i think like the more you learn about metallica and how they like how they how all their shit came into fruition it's like him and and hetfield like woodshedding absolutely everything right and then coming to the other guys and being like here just put something on this you know maybe cliff got yeah. led into the woodshed like a few times but it was mostly the two of them But that that's I I think about that a lot too, but I'm not as like I don't know, like I don't listen to new stuff in this genre as much, maybe. Or like or don't or don't don't record it. I don't play in a band that like tours a lot in that world. Yeah, so I mean like, I, I try to check out new stuff. It doesn't mean that I'm like getting into it like, you know, becoming a part of me, but like I try to at least give a once over to new stuff coming out. Um, 
and uh you know i'm I'm hearing like recorded stuff rather than like right. seeing them live but i'm just like you know part of it is like modern production where everything sounds perfect and they probably didn't actually play there's, that shit anyway yeah there's no false hits <laughs> how do you feel about that do you like so if, if you're recording a band and they're like ah fuck it i'm gonna like it, like it's just gonna be an edit fest like do you try to caution against that or like what what is your as a producer or as a as like a guiding light like do you i mean what are your thoughts on that especially for drummers well, i think it's like i mean for what i do here at my studio i've got kind of like a built-in bullshit meter you know <laughs> uh, because it's it's all analog i record to tape right um i mean i i could record um without the machine but i don't want to right um I don't have much interest in it. Um, and part of that is maybe just like my sort of upbringing and, you know, my my sort of punk or hardcore background or whatever. Um, but the the music that I like has imperfections in it. Yeah. I mean, it's as simple as that. Like, those are the things that I gravitate towards. Um and uh, especially with heavy music because it it's so edited and like with drums there's like drum samples and all that shit and like i don't want to hear everything like inhumanly perfect no you know and me, i don't need neither. it to be that tight i don't need the the you know the meter of it to be spot on perfect timing um because there's no emotion there no and and when you edit that stuff and even with the guitars and um Another thing I, um, uh, some people pull it off, but like another thing I dislike is, um, chopping up the vocals. Yeah. Um, often if you can get the singer to sing complete lines or even just the whole fucking thing, you know, and I'm talking like screamy hardcore, like yeah, yeah. No, more melodic uh, stuff. Yeah. It, there's uh, a little more sure. wiggle room there for editing, but, um, I want to hear them run out of breath. I want to hear them like sound so like pissed off and angry or whatever, like uh, just full of emotion and have it, you know, the intensity shift around rather than like, I almost feel like, all right, you ever like smash a bottle at a wall or like throw like every, you know, an, every night, throw an, throw an egg at a wall or something like that every morning. Like, like edited vocals that are all like chopped up and every syllable is the vocalist oh, it's so, at their strongest. It's so it obvious. just sounds like it's so my, it's so obvious. It's yeah, it's like just every word is up against my face like that. And I feel like I'm the wall and like the words are like the bottles. <laughs> yeah. And it's just like yeah. Yeah. smashing right in front of me there. Just pain. And, like, it's pain. It's pure pain for you. Yeah. Painful. But but like I can't connect with that. No, you know? I mean, well, it's because it's so there's such artifice to it. It's just like clear, but like clear. It doesn't sound human. No, because it's no, not. No, 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 it's know? not. I mean, it isn't. It's sort of just it's taking it's taking human human beings and like putting them through the it's like putting them through the matrix or putting them through the fucking like, you know, this like the singularity and making them. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, I think like it's super obvious, and I think like the advent of home recording and the advent of digital recording has made it like a little tiny teeny teeny bit less obvious but it's still obvious yeah and i mean you can do that stuff in analog too with the vocals and i have done that i mean sometimes you just have to and and 
that's fine. But like, I always try to get someone to, to just like sing through the whole thing and then maybe just punch in a couple of things here and there. Um, and that to me always sounds, you know, just like more, more natural, you know? started your studio i think like we talked about this too is that um not not on this in this format but i think like in general when we've talked about your studio you know you as a drummer and you as you know a, te- a tech a guy who's been has done you know some pretty significant work in doing drum tech and tuning and um getting good sounds for other studios of, of like real note i think like um it seems like you wanted to start a studio almost like in with the in, stated interest of getting drums recorded correctly or like getting drums recorded well is that yeah. is that a fair assessment is that something that you um, wanted it it is for sure but a lot of it was just um for me to get just like honest drum sounds that i connect with I, it's hard to get that stuff elsewhere. Right. Um, maybe a little more so when I first started getting into recording, but really I just kind of wanted to get my drums to sound how they sound in a room. And I, I came up like it was still late eighties and you still had to go to a recording studio right? and, you know, use a engineer and stuff. And, it was all like gated reverb on the snare and like oh, yeah. all this like eighties effects yeah, some, still like some, in, in some guy with a mullet and Reeboks comes out and just like tinkers with your fucking drum mics for, <laughs> for, yeah. for an hour. And, and like, um, it just like sounded fake. And I, I would like sometimes verbally get in like arguments with, um, whoever was engineering, um, just trying to make them sound like real drums. Yeah. You know, and um, having all the control in the studio here kind of like it was a big, big um, reason for doing it. And I mean, obviously, I sucked at first because, you know, no one's like a great recording engineer when they first start and they're self-taught, you know. Right. Um, but um, I learned pretty quickly and. I had done a lot of recording sessions and then um, drum tech sessions too. So, I mean, I, I kind of had a leg up on just like the average person, I guess. Right. Um, had some great mentors as well. Um, and I don't know, once I uh, sort of like got my thing going here, I was like, okay, yeah, I'm getting my favorite drum sounds. Right. Like, you know, I fucking achieved it. Right. But you're in good company too. I think like you, you, 
you opening your studio when I heard was happening made sense. I mean, um, probably again because of where we come from and like who we've who we've both recorded with, like you know, your Brian and Kurt, like definitely, I think like demystified a lot, even just to me about how to just get the gear, start your shit up, start a studio. Like, right? Why I mean, not? we had awesome, awesome role models. Yeah, you know, being like peers and and friends, like. You can just ask them anything like yeah, yeah. Kurt because he's local to me here. And like he loves like DIY stuff. And I mean, he is like a punk through and through, you know, yeah. like, <laughs> um, and so he's been very, very helpful um, to me. And I see him um, be equally as helpful to other people um, just like, that have questions he can answer like audio stuff, guitar stuff. Um, he's just like such a, um, asset to the community or something. Just like, you know, yeah, he doesn't guard much. Like, like he's, you know what I mean? He's, he is such a, there, there's also like no filter between like what, like as soon as you meet Kurt, there's no filter. Like there's not like a, some facade (laughs) he's trying to put up, you know, he's not trying to be cool. Like he, like, if you ask him a question, he's going to give you the the answer. Like as as far he as he will knows, give you the real answer. Yeah, you know he's not going to bandy about, and he's not going to withhold. He's not going to have some secret. Like, oh, this is a trade secret, and you're not going to. You know, it's like, no, I fucking <laughs> yeah. want everybody. I want this to be available to anybody that wants to know. You know, it's a great thing about him. And, uh, yeah. And his studio, he sort of built that from from nothing. I mean, I, like, was lucky enough to be able to record drums in his various, like, in his mom's garage up through to the spot he's in now in Salem, you know, and just watch that evolution. It's so cool. Just see you guys be able to do that, you know? Yeah. I mean, there's been so many people in our community. Um, I mean, the sort of hardcore community throughout the world, but like, especially in the Boston area and in our era of growing up, like so many people have gone on to do like such awesome things that, the whole world has uh, noticed and it's, it's a very like inspiring and awesome um, environment to be around. It's interesting. It's never thought of it that way because it's, there is true parallel to the early, earliest incarnations of hardcore and punk in Boston and that, and what you've just described like Lou Giordano or whatever, like he started radio was like headed up radio beat studios did some of the most iconic first hardcore records or engineered some of the most iconic first hardcore records and then went on to fame and fortune you know and like that everybody all all these other guys like you know mike deneen like you know started recording like everybody starts somewhere um you know and it's all kind of happened here in boston and uh like a lot of it, and I feel like there is a total, like with recording and with uh, recording studios, there is like a real ethos of of DIY that has sometimes nothing to do with punk and hardcore. It's just like kind of built into home recording and like the pride that comes with figuring out and tinkering with that and demystifying it to yourself seems right. to be built in or baked into to that, or you, to you guys who, who want to do that and take that and, and run with it. Because it seems, seems like, you know, even like fucking... 
Boston record. You know, like the whole story behind that Boston record, which is a fucking awesome. Oh, record. the band Boston. Yeah. Yeah, Boston. <laughs> like, that's a home recorded record that was sneakily home, like, ended up being yeah. like a home studio record. Like, yeah. Platinum I, I've, selling. I've seen like kind of stuff that surfaced recently with uh, Tom Schultz's, like, uh, you know, home studio. Like, they, they, go back to the uh i think it was in waltham like the the house basement that yeah. he actually recorded that in yeah and you're just like holy shit like it's a basement that basement sucks <laughs> it's like a fucking <laughs> and then they basement. made a fucking hit record out of it an know? insane hit record like an insane sounding hit record you still put that on and be like damn like this sounds yeah pretty good yeah you know? Did but you, ever- you know what that was a dude that just knew what he wanted and made it happen you know did you ever record at that spot out in Gloucester? That was like, you know, Brian was out there for a while and Dean was out oh, there uh, for a while. Yeah, Brown Sound. Get High did our second. Oh album yeah, that's that's there. right. Yeah, yeah. You guys were there when Close Call was doing their their or when we got when oh, we were yeah. doing our thing. Yeah, that was a weird. That was cool. That place was cool. It was very cool. I I didn't really know anything about like recording gear or any like it, I wasn't interested in it back then. I was just a drummer and. I wish that I could kind of like go back in time and just like look around at these places. Cause I have no idea what any of the like gear yeah. was or what the room like design was or anything. And like, I've been in some really cool studios and I bet they had like all this like cool shit that I, I would kind of <laughs> want to know like right. what it was. Um, Here's a, a kind of, or interesting to me story about um, some situation like that. Now, when I first got into recording, I, for some reason, wanted a reel-to-reel tape machine. And so I got a Fostex B16, half-inch tape, 16-track, reel-to-reel. Mm-hmm. And I got a Ramza mixing board. And those are, like, kind of respectable, like, semi-pro, like, home studio types of things from like the 80s or something and uh i uh just i don't know why i wanted those but i i ended up getting them used them for a little bit and then bought bigger and better stuff and moved on from there but at the same time i had always thought that the uh the last kingpin seven inch was like the pinnacle of like my drum sound and I loved the way that record sounded for a very long time. And I ran into the guy that recorded it after I had already gotten into recording and had the studio for a few years, uh, Bill T. Miller. And I was like, dude, like, you don't know me really, but I recorded at your place. I was in this band, Kingpin. We were like kids. We recorded with you. And it has been like, my ideal like drum sound for like so long and now that i am a recording engineer like can you tell me like what gear did you record it on because i had like fantasized about like what it could be and like kind of you know built it up in my head to be this like awesome like top tier professional shit and he's like oh i had a fostex b16 and a ramson mixing board (laughs) I was like, get the fuck out of here. I was like, dude, 
that was my first recording setup. And I think in the, my subconscious, like the images of those things were there because that's what I gravitated towards and what I ended up buying. Was that session the sort of first inkling of first time where you were like noticed and appreciated the the sort of process of recording? I'm gonna say no. Um, I I can't really put my finger. I like that. I don't think there is like one session where I was like, I want to do this because that's not the way it happened. It was like, I was in kind of like a lull of stuff. It was like um, American Nightmare had just broken up. I just started Blood Horse and it was kind of right in between there where I was like, kind of just had a lot of free time. Um, There are tons of instruments hanging around the house because in our house was um, what, like three different bands like hope conspiracy practice there uh cave in and uh american nightmare for a while but then like blood horse as well um it was 12 wadsworth street in austin uh, oh yeah it was like you know it's like the best house. The, the the last close call songs that i wrote with close call or that we wrote together um we're at 12 12 watts oh yeah you like, guys that's like my favorite that was like my favorite songs we ever put together and they're of course from that basement yeah great vibe from Mm -hmm. there yeah magic um but um yeah so like i bought like a four track cassette thing just like because i never even had one before (laughs) right um we had always gone to studios and so i bought that and then it's like a week later i was like oh they make like eight track versions of these like eight track cassettes so i bought one of those and then um the thing I bought, I made some blood horse demos with that just cause you know, I thought we should demo some stuff. Right. And then I bought the, the Fostex and the Ramza and I was like, guys, I think I could record like a album for us or, or something. And so like we recorded on that and it was my first like, you know, real recording session thing. And that ended up being our uh, EP, or like Blood Horse EP that came out. And then uh, that's kind of what started it all. So I, I was inspired like from afar of all the recording studios I had been in. But like at that point, it, I was just kind of like remembering stuff. And it was like, I didn't know what any of the fucking gear was anyways. So I just sort of like made it up as I went along. But my interactions with the people that I was recording with as a drummer, that stuff really stuck with me always because that's not technical stuff. That's just like people skills or like just, you know, being personable or whatever. And I remember having this like kind of like poignant moment with uh, Dean, uh, 
we're getting the drum sound for the first Get High record. And I was real specific about how I wanted the drums to sound because I wanted them to sound like how my drums actually sound when I'm like playing them. And uh, I wanted to EQ the toms. He was kind of taking it in a different direction from what I wanted. And I was trying to describe it. And then he's like, hey, you know what? Why don't you just sit up here? And these are the EQ knobs. Just like turn them until <laughs> it sounds good. And like, it was just so like stupid, simple. And I was like, oh yeah. Like, duh, you just turn them until they so sound you, good. All you do is fiddle with a bunch of knobs. This is it. And okay, like, I still think of that when I'm like getting sounds for people. I'm just like, Oh yeah, you just like listen to it and just make fuck it sound until good. it sounds good. You just have to know what sounds good. That's kind of it. Like you like yeah. I mean, you do have to be able to, you know, hear some frequencies that maybe other people can't hear. But I, you know, like, well, I don't know about that. It's just I think people have different tastes yeah. and what they think is good. Um, you know, everyone's going to be a little bit different with that. And I think the people that become like really popular engineers or producers, just people happen to like what they like. Right. You know? Cause like you could be really passionate about like shitty sounds that like zero people like. Right. And like it takes just as much effort to get those like quote unquote shitty sounds as it takes to get good sounds, but just like, you know, if you're into that, you're not going to get any work from it. <laughs> no right. one's going to want to record right. with you. It's funny that you you mentioned that sort of era of gated reverb and you know, be, you know that sort of this like false big kind of sound that was just mm-hmm. so pervasive. I want to know like what are you know some of your favorite records from that time? Because my it's a guarantee that probably a majority of them, or I mean maybe not, but like. A lot of them have that sort of, you know, big gated, crazy false but kind of huge sounding. Especially yeah. the dr- especially the drums. Like the drums were always treated with this sort of like, well, it's got to sound like it's fucking Budokan, you know. Like <laughs> it's got to, you know, we gotta we gotta nail them. And ne- there was never any kind of like, you know, the '70s was that time of just this natural kind of like muted sounds i mean those were like natural sounds but all the drums were like you know made to be not resonant yeah um and you know that's not i mean that sound is perfect for many things but um that's not my go-to drum sound right um i like them like wide open and big sounding but not like fake big just like actually like resonant and huge sounding right um but you know you're you can stick a microphone in front of a drum that's tuned very well and struck well and in a nice sounding room and even if your room isn't that nice sounding if it's just like you know you're close micing a drum like yeah not a whole lot of the room is getting in there but you do get some if you just like dead in your room like yeah and you, the instrument itself sounds big, then there's your big drum sound right there. Right. 
You know what I mean? The drum has to sound big on its own. Like you got to get yeah. it initially. That's the thing I've learned. I'm not an engineer, but that's like the years of chasing the fucking good drum sound. Like, especially in hardcore when you're like, well, you have 20, you have like literally 20 minutes to make this record. So go for it. Like, you know, if like we've only paid for 20 minutes, like it's like, ah, fuck. Like, you know, like you have no time to get sounds. You have no time to like try to get and achieve anything that is anywhere near what you think, you know? And then maybe somebody has convinced you that you can do it in post. Like, I don't worry about it. Like, we'll just like do, we'll do whatever we need to do with all this outboard shit. Like I've learned to never trust that. Yeah. That is such bullshit. (laughs) If if I don't have a good site, if I'm not hearing something good right now, like the two minutes yeah. after I fucked around and went into this, went into the booth, like, hell no, we're going to have to do something. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to have yeah. to do some work here. It's totally. Like, but like the thing that kind of like spawned all that, um, or like maybe my, my interpretation of like the history of that is like, all right, you get like, um, coming out of the sixties into the seventies, you're starting to get more and more, um, tracks available. Now you've got like, 24 tracks and then in the 80s you had like a you know 48 tracks because you'd link two machines together um but so you have a higher track count you can um close mic stuff and so you're close micing a tom except no one knew how to fucking tune drums back then (laughs) so if you had a resonant tom it's full of these like weird like and like snarls and stuff yeah and not having someone who can tune it how do you get rid of that oh you tape it up right and dead, so now you've got net. this like dead quick like 70s dry sound and like you know they would do it to the kick drum and the snare or drum you see the man- manufacturers would just take away the resonant head it would just be like oh yeah like because you see you see those kits like all oh, right yeah like, Mick don't need it yeah no we just don't even need it yeah put, put the mic under it and then just dead in the top and yeah oh wow okay like and what? and all that stuff, that sound has an appropriate place for sure. But like the sort of history of getting into the gated reverb and all that stuff. It's like, then the next phase is like, Oh, you remember like John Bonham? Like (laughs) those drums sound huge. Like, you know, when the Levy breaks or whatever, Yeah, which they had like highly resonant drums in like a marble foyer or something with like, heavily compressed mics far away from the kit or whatever but like you know you would get like still the like tight taped up drums which sound like a very short quick sound and then like oh yeah if you just put some gated reverb on those it sounds huge and so like you get the resonance from that reverb rather than from the drum still. And then like later on when people got better at tuning or when like they discovered, Oh, you can get drum techs that know how to tune drums and hire them. And then like, then you start being able to have big sounding, like natural real drums. But here's a question. How quickly did you go into your, to your drums after you watched that one YouTube video of John Bonham's tech being like, here's how we did it. Like, like, did you ever see that video of him? It was like his road guy being like, oh yeah, like this is exactly how Bonham liked his, his drums tuned. Low, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Low on top, high on the bottom. That's it. 
Like, it, and it was like, oh, yeah. I mean, they're also, like, incredibly fucking well-built, like, good drums. But, like, he's like, yeah, it was, like, a coded, coded ambassador heads for his whatever. You know, like, it just, like, went through all this shit that, like, everybody has in their kit already. It was like, yeah. tune the resonant head high and then tune their the bit the batter head like kind of low and right then, and it was like oh i went to my i went to my studio and did it and was like ah oh. like, there it is but, I've, I've always done some version of that but here here yeah. it is but you gotta have john bonham hitting it too well of, yes, and with those of with course, those with those course. with those sticks too dude i went through this whole fucking rigmarole with finding a new drumstick and I found out some like interesting shit about like the big three brands like Promark, Vader, and Vic Firth. Um, I used to use Promark sticks. Used them like forever. I was always like a Neil Peart guy. So like yeah, my first right. my first drumstick was a seven forty seven. For some reason, I got the nylon tip. <laughs> and um, yeah, you know what it was. The first drum set came to me with uh, Promark 5B nylon tip. And then I was like, okay, like I'll get something a little different. But then just bought that same brand and I did the 747 nylon tip because I just thought you were supposed to have a nylon tip. Yeah. And then um, played that for probably like 25 years or something like that <laughs> and then one day i was like i grabbed a new brick of sticks and i was like oh the the taper is different and the bead is different they changed the promark 747 huh. what the fuck and because I, I and i even found like an old stick and i was like yeah the tip's definitely different the taper's definitely different like and so i emailed the company which is uh, it was already uh, owned by Diodario by then. And they got right back to me and they were like, oh my God, like, can you send us a picture of both your sticks together? Like, this is crazy. You know, like, like it was a big right. deal. Right. And um, I sent them the picture and they're like, please send us your old stick of like the original, yeah. like, 747 nylon tip and so I, I mailed it to them and a couple weeks go by and then they write me this letter that i still like don't understand they're like okay so here's what we think happened we recently retooled all of the lathes and stuff to their original specs and we think that the lathes had just worn away to deviate from the original design so your like stick that you've been used to has actually changed over time and this and that. And I was like, yeah, okay, whatever. And like, they sent me a, like a pair of sticks that were the most like the old 747 nylon tip. And I was like, okay. But then I was like, okay, but like, is there a lathe that does the nylon tip? I think they're just like molded. That doesn't explain that. <laughs> it and I've it, definitely popped off enough nylon tips to know that you just fucking plunk them on there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Like, exactly. Plunk them on there with some glue. <laughs> yeah. And then, like, it was just so different. And, like, I have come to know this stick so well. 
and that's the stick on you want. It's that, a stick you want to marry. That's the stick you. On want top to marry. of that, like if you know anything about Neil Peart, whose like signature drumsticks these were, that guy's so meticulous about yeah everything. You think that guy wouldn't have noticed on like. <laughs> Fucking day one yeah. of like the deviation. You would know like, if the smell was different. Yeah. So like I maybe they are convincing themselves of that. Maybe it's actually true. Like I don't fucking know. But all I know is I had to find a new drumstick. <laughs> and so I bought probably I mean, I was just like kind of willy nilly picking sticks that looked like they might be right for me. And I I did about a dozen each of like Vic Firth invader and pro mark and started just like playing them all and i was going by feel a little bit but like mostly the sound mm. um which i i was kind of describing my process with someone and they were like oh that's crazy you were going mostly by sound like most people would go by feel and um i don't know like if it felt right but didn't sound right like that didn't pass for me um, but what I noticed was a big difference between those big three and um, the Vic Firth were very like hard, mm-hmm. dry, rigid um, sticks, like wood. And those would sort of like crack rather than wear away. Right. You'd just be playing and it would just like split off. Yeah, yeah. Huge uh, splinters and, would just fly. Yeah, and everywhere. I'd be like, oh, this didn't, didn't even wear down. It just like right exploded in my hand on one hit <laughs> right um and um being that rigid they felt kind of like clanky on symbols like i felt like i was going to crack a symbol like a crash yeah. or something yeah, yeah, like yeah. that but they sounded like awesome on like a snare hit like non non rim shot just like center snare hit tom sounded fantastic ride symbol pretty good but felt a little like hard you know, um, and then on the other side of the spectrum was uh, Promark. Their wood is kind of a softer, like more like bendy wood. So rim shots sounded awesome because you're hitting the rim, and then the rest of the stick is like smacking onto the yeah. head. Yeah. Um, cymbals like crash cymbals sounded the best with those because it's more like it's softer. It's more like hitting it with a mallet. You get yeah less clank yeah, yeah. on it. Yeah. Um, and then like ride felt like in comparison, kind of like rubbery or something, you know? And, um, then, um, Vader, which is what I ended up choosing. Those were kind of right in the middle. Good balance of everything. They, they wear nicely. Um, they're not cracking and exploding (laughs) randomly. I I don't know why, but yeah, Vic Firth were like my, you know, I don't like maybe that was the only that was like the first pair of sticks I ever got or like Vic first sticks or I was so totally susceptible to advertising and saw somebody was endorsed and was like, oh, fucking, you know, Vic Menzas endorsed by Vic Firth. I might as well get those, you know, um, right. but I played I like feel like I destroyed myself playing Vic Firth five B's for forever. <laughs> right. Like I destroyed my ability. Like I like because now. I actually moved over to Promark, Promark um, 5A woodtip. I actually had a pair of your 747s, I think. It it ended up in my stick bag. I think you lent me a pair of sticks at a show. 
I remember being like, whoa, like, what the fuck are, like, it was some specialty, like, wow, like, Al's onto some other next level shit. Cause these are, like, these were like the, you know, like the Japanese oak, like, they had like the green, uh, the green banding on them or like the oh, green logo. Yeah. The, the green the natural, logo was the, natu- the natural. natural. Yeah. There was, was no, like, uh, no varnish on no it. No varnish. Yeah. Okay. So that was what it is. And I was like, whoa, Al's on some tip, man. This is, you know, I'm gonna play with these tonight. And I, 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 they, they lasted forever. Like I broke maybe one, you know, right. I just keep like, I, you know, I keep randoms and that motherfucker was with me for a long time. There was one natural 747. Anyway, I went over to Pro Mark and I was like, ah, these are the ones I want to marry. I'm never going back. Vader right. felt like stubby, like they're not as long. So I, like for me, it's totally feel like I would not be able to tell you with any distinct degree of accuracy, like what sounds i'm producing with what sticks because i'm really probably add and not very patient and not like able to like do that (laughs) like it sounds fine like just keep going you know so but the feel wise like the length of the pro mark and the and the bounce of the pro mark was really like ah okay like this is where i where i need to be prop but also because i wasn't playing hardcore as much at all so i was just sort of like doing all this other weird shit and having to do a lot more dynamic pull pull back a hell of a lot more that's you know yeah one thing that like hardcore certainly does not teach you Uh, you like can be a really incredible drummer in that genre and then get your ass handed to you in some other way in some other trying to play some other type of music oh definitely, definitely because it's so like it Dynamic is everything, and it relies on you to pull it back and to pull it down somewhere where everybody else needs to sort of complement each other. And you're really like, oh, fuck, like, hey, I can actually hear everybody else that I'm playing with. <laughs> yeah. I can hear, and the person, whoever can actually sing. So I need to be able to hear everybody. I've got to stand back here and I got to let everybody else compliment each other. It's like a really incredible, weird new way to listen to music and to play music is to not play that music for a while. You know, do you find it like you're such a heavy hitter? I mean, like you're like your sound is very distinct and it like doesn't it obvious. It's obvious that you spend so much time and effort and have an innate, maybe an innate ability to like hear things when the music is off and when you're just trying to play your drums and just like, spend spend time with your drums but do you feel like people call on you to be a heavy hitter or do you feel like you know um have you ever had anybody be like oh stand back a bit like has anyone ever told you that (laughs) to like ease up stand back like not be alcor um i'm gonna say no um like i'm just a guy that loves music and to me, like when I'm drumming, I'm just, I'm listening to the band, listening to the music, like everyone in the audience. Right. And I just happen to be making the beat for it. So right. like, I just kind of, you know, the the song wants a certain vibe and a certain drum beat, certain style. And I feel like I just kind of play to the song to a certain extent. Well, you have to be a good. Um, li- you have to be a good listener. You know, no matter what you're. I playing. mean, that's. I mean, 
I feel like what's I the am point? a good listener. Yeah, what's, yeah, it's what's like, the, what's yeah. the honestly like what's the point if you're not a good listener? If, if you if you are not, I mean, even for the guitarists and the vocalists and everybody out else, you know, the other band members, like if they're not listening, they're not even going to be in time with you. No, you know, um, the the best bands are just full of you know great listeners. Right. I yeah. don't think. Yeah. I think. I think that puts the nail on it. Because that is like a a truly good band doesn't have to be good dynamic players. Um, that's nice, but I think if they're good listeners, um, it's so it just so makes a difference. It's just really the wheat from the chaff. It's like people that enjoy the music they're playing are gonna really be able to translate that and transmit that to everybody else who's listening to it. You know? Yeah. Um, and people that are truly enjoying it in the moment. Only it's it's kind of crazy, cosmic, I guess. Like you're just you're projecting an energy, and it's reciprocated to you. Lucky, yeah. lucky for us, like, and we talked about this before, is that we came up in a genre where reciprocal energy was really a it was not only a huge part of it, it was like necessary part of it. If it wasn't yeah. happening, yeah. the show was no good. There was no yeah. point. You would literally sometimes be like, fuck this. Like if people, if people weren't going bananas, <laughs> you'd be like, fuck this. We're done. Get your stuff. Let's go. Like, yeah, you know, like, that was always your meter for like, you know, yeah. how good a new song was. I, I remember like back in uh, the Kingpin days, um, we had a lot of unrecorded music in our set at different periods of time. And like, I remember being in the practice space, which was my mom's basement, mm-hmm. um, and just like finishing a new song and just being like, oh, I can't wait to play this live. Because like, I don't know, maybe nowadays people are more like reserved and like they don't want to like get into new songs or whatever. But like back then it was like kids would mosh to anything and go bananas just like hearing a song for the first time. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And um, that... That was a really like special thing um, that happened back then. That was just part of the deal. And th- yeah. I mean, and it like spoils you. I mean, we talked about this too. It's like, it spoils you. Like you, 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 you know, go out there and play in some bands that ain't hardcore band and don't have that built, built in audience and built in sort of uh, reciprocal expectation. Like it's a shock. Like it can can legit be a shock to be like fuck like everybody yeah. hates what we're doing like <laughs> everybody hates me and hates what we're doing and this sucks you know it's like not true it's just like that only exists like that energy only exists a when you're that age and you know and but b when you're playing those shows yeah, those yeah. fired up fucking skateboarder kids that just want to jump on each other yeah you know it's different yeah. I mean I'd played in some like melodic stuff. Um, you know, like bigger bands. Like um, when I played in Saves the Day, it was like from the same scene, but it was like, you know, sort of, it was different enough that like kids weren't like killing themselves and like going bananas. Right. But um, they would sing along and they were like pretty attentive too. And so you just kind of like shift your mind a little bit as to like, you know, the the vibe coming off the crowd like oh yeah i'm not expecting them to like you know be 
smashing each other over the head and stage dives well, and stuff like that. Of course, <laughs> of course. But and like, you kind of forget sometimes when you look up and you're like, oh, we're fucking bombing. And like, oh, wait, no, it's not a hardcore show. They're no. like, yeah. oh, they're singing along. Like, oh, those people are smiling, you know? Right. Well, you try, like, I think it teaches you, like, once that shock wears off, I think, like, and if you're playing in other genres or doing whatever, like, I think it teaches you just to behave in a way that, uh, ele- try to elevate everything that's in front of you elevate everybody that's watching you but also yeah. like f- primarily and first elevate all the other people that are on stage with you you know like if you aren't feeling elevated the crowd is probably not gonna you know probably not gonna respond probably not gonna reciprocate so you yeah. have i mean to sometimes you gotta kind of like fake it a little or uh, like of course, get, of get psyched right. and then like you know you kind of pull the crowd into what you're doing. Like I've had shows that like I I thought were like, you know, sucking or whatever. And one luxury that we have as drummers, or at least from my experience, is I can just close my eyes <laughs> and just like rock out as hard as I can and have a good show. And even some of the other like musicians can do that. The person who can't do that is the singer. Like if there's a bad show for the singer, it's just like, how do you overcome that? There's you no know? way. And, yeah. but like for me, like I can literally close my eyes and just like rock out even harder and just be like, well, if they're not going to get into it, into it, <laughs> I'm going to get into it. And I think in in some ways that can kind of pull the other musicians around because everyone feeds off yeah. everyone else. If your drummer's like going ape shit and you're kind of like phoning it in a little bit, it kind of like makes yeah. you join in a little bit more, you know? And I feel like the audience feels that too in the yeah. same way that if like we're just standing there and they're going nuts, like it makes us get more I, into I, it. I, I think we I think we have more control over the elevation than anyone else in anyone else in the band. I mean, maybe singers, but I think like we have true control over how the song can bounce, how the song can mm, navigate whatever kind of weird reciprocal energy is is coming. You know, yeah, like yeah. I, I think you like we have a, an innate, a kind of hard to describe ability to elevate. And like, you know, and to do exactly what you're talking about, bringing, bringing the rest of the band in with you. And then if ever, if everybody else in the, in the audience wants to come and follow you, great. But it's really about getting the four or five people on stage with you to, to join you, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I've always felt like a strong connection with like whatever singers were in my band. There's something about like, like the drummer singer dynamic. Do you play, do you play the I, vocals? You play I, the vocals. Oh, definitely, definitely. Yeah. But beyond no. that, I think like I don't know. There's there's so much to say about this. I think um, cause I, and I don't know if I project it on other like drummer singer combos in any given band, but uh, there's a thing there. There's something there, like. We're both not like musicians often. Like the singer 
often just sings yeah. and they don't play an instrument. Same with the drummer. Like I dabble with other instruments now, but like for a long time, I just played drums. And then especially in hardcore music with the vocals being very percussive and not melodic yeah, and the drums also just being percussive, like musically you have to play well together and play off of each other. Um, but I mean, there have been so many times just like on stage, just like having some kind of like vibe going on. And yeah. I look up. I look up at whoever you know. Yeah, my you, you look singer. Up, you, you look up at Wes Eisold, who is one of the. Be- I'm going to say on record, one of the best. Having the good fortune of being able to play behind him at a couple couple times, you know, early in their career, um, one of the more elevating, synergistic, vocalists for a drummer to play with. It really fucking commands the drummer. It commands the drummer, like, not in a, do this, but in a way that is driving how you play, when you make a hit, when you do what you do, how fast you go. Like, like, Wesk really gets it. You know, as a young guy, like, got, got that. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, experience with him. I wasn't specifically talking about him, but definitely he's maybe the best example of that. Um, Even, like, when uh there's like a new american nightmare song um we don't have any like lyrics ahead of time or like vocal placeholders nothing it's just we write the music and then he sings over it and so i gotta be careful about what i'm doing drum wise with like drum fills or even like kick hits sometime or like you know the drum pattern and stuff like that um, I have to kind of guess where he's going to take it or at least leave space for it to go right somewhere, you know, and without fail, like when I hear his vocals, I'm just like, oh shit, he like left a little gap for like this drum fill or like, I don't know. It's, mm-hmm. it's not even as black and white as that, but it just, he sings around the drums and the draw it's almost like premeditated but it it, it wasn't you know good, and like good listener he's a good listener absolutely but like he is a music lover he is now a musician himself too oh yeah and and it's just like i think he has such a broad view of like sort of like you know he sees the whole song and like sings to that or something i mean i i'm kind no, of projecting no, projecting I think, I, I think upon right. him all the stuff I think right i think he's I, and again talk about elevating um the crowd i think he's trying to elevate the genre a, a little bit and i think like he's been through many incarnations i think as like a as like a dude and i think like as a music lover I, and he's always clearly loved all kinds of music it's always it was always so great to like you know talk to him about music and li- listen to music with him and show him new stuff and have him show me new stuff. Like it's, he's like a voracious, you know, listener, consumer of, of, of good, like really pretty impeccable taste, you know? So, um, that's, how's that not going to come through? Even if it's just like, you know, even if he's doing another AN record, not that that's like, Oh, just another, record, but it's like, he's taking that 
the expectations of that and elevating it a little bit for our, through right. what his lens and what he's done. And he's a totally percussive singer. And it like goes back to, you know, especially early or late eighties, early nineties, like hardcore always got compared to hip hop a lot. I think just because of their, yeah. their place in the strata of, of musical, whatever, um, they're kind of equal. Um, yeah. But I also think that like the elemental p- part of it really made the comparison very, very true. Like, and that is still true today. I think with the good, the bands that play that music that are really good or they stand out is uh, an interplay between the drums and the vocals that is very, very reminiscent of hip hop and not really clearly. It's not like a hip hop beat. Most sometimes it is, but like, I think when, even when you're playing a fast beat or a typical kind of hardcore, fast, hardcore beat, if a, if a vocalist is percussive, that really stands out. And it really, it, again, elevates it and makes it something that you're like, oh, like this, this is a, fam- there's a familiarity to it and an elementalness to it that make it really appealing, you know? And I think as drummers, yeah. like you carry that with you, whatever we carry like punk and hardcore with us through whatever we do, honestly. And then like any decision I've ever made is influenced by it in some way. It's indirect, but it's influenced in some way by it. Like, you know, how can I do this myself? Like, you know, do I it, needing permission to do something is just like, verboten like there's no i don't fucking need permission you know so i think like right um you know that you know that carries through and so anyway we get i'm loving talking to you but i've been talking a long time here's what i think we should do (laughs) here's what i think we should do because there's lots of things i want to talk to you about okay i think we should do a round two they people won't know but this is this is round two Oh, right, right. Let's do a round two. Like, have an Alcor two two of two. This is one of two. Alcor two of two. And we'll talk about some other stuff I didn't even get to. Because I loved talking about what we talked about. I thought it was a good time. It's great. 